Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, we are, we are welcoming a very special guest, my dad, Harry Lilly. Welcome on the show. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good, Nick. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. All right. On, tonight epi- on tonight's episode, we were looking at three cases that all have diminished capacity and um, in, in similarity. And diminished capacity is a plea in which certain people, because of an impairment, are unable to reach the required mental state to commit a crime. The first case we're looking at tonight is the people of New York, the people of the state of New York versus Gordon G. Patterson. The court, uh, the case was decided on April 1st, 1976 in the Court of Appeals of the state of New York. The type of the case is a murder or criminal case. Facts of the case. Defendant Gordon Patterson and his wife, Roberta Patterson, had a very unstable marriage with recurring physical assaults and very nasty verbal arguments. Due to these incidents, Roberta ultimately decided to leave her husband and begin the divorce process. Roberta resumed seeing her neighbor, John Northrup, to whom she was previously engaged to before marrying Gordon. On December 27, 1970, Gordon went to his father-in-law's residence and observed Roberta semi-undressed with John, with John Northrup there. Seeing this, Gordon entered and shot Northrup in the head twice with a borrowed rifle. Wow. Originally, Gordon confessed to the killing, and his confession was held voluntary and admitted into evidence. Roberta also testified with objection of the defense counsel that Gordon shot the victim at close range. Eleven witnesses were called to the stand, including Gordon, in which they testified on Gordon's life and the time period in which Gordon was married to Roberta. Defense stood with the position that the murder was unintentional since Gordon testified that the gun went off accidentally in his version of what happened. This would also go under the contention part of the case. Gordon raised the affirmative defense that at the time of the crime, he was acting under the influence of extreme emotional disturbance. Under the homicide provisions of penal law, the jury was instructed to, was instructed to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant, Gordon, acted intentionally in, in, the, um, in the act. The people of New York needed to figure out if Gordon intended firing the rifle to kill the victim, Northrop. In order to do that, the jury needed to find... Gordon had the intent to cause death, and this crime resulted from that intent. The legal issue at hand. Does placing the burden of, on the defendant to show extreme emotional disturbance violate his due process rights? Also, um, now to the decision of the case. The court held that putting the burden on, on the defendant did not violate his due process since extreme emotional disturbance was a mitigating circumstance that failed to alter the prosecution's burden to prove intent. The jury found the defendant, Gordon, guilty of murder. And also to that, firing, it's not like he fired once. You can mistakenly fire once, go off, but twice is hard to prove. Exactly. Implication. The court upheld a New York law that instructed the jury that it was on the defense to prove that the defendant acted under extreme emotional disturbance. So it's up to the defense to prove it. Getting into our second case of the, ni- of the night. The title of this is Ibn Tamas versus United States 1979. 
The date of the case, October 15, 1979, and it was decided in the District of Columbia Court of Appeals. The type of case is another murder criminal case. The facts. On, Fe on February 23, 1976, Dr. Yusuf Ibn, Ibn Tamas was shot in his home office. Beverly Ibn Tamas, his wife of three and a half years, was charged with second-degree murder while armed and second-degree murder. In, in September 1972, they were married, and their marriage apparently was an episode of violent reoccurrences with happy periods of relative happiness and peaceful times. Allegedly, Dr. Yusuf was, violent, um, was violently physical towards his wife. When she finally had enough, Beverly shot and killed her husband after a violent fight um, after a violent fight that broke out over an argument at um, the kitchen table during breakfast. Originally, she was tried on September 1976 and the jury and the jury found her guilty of second degree murder while armed. The judge of that case ordered a new trial with a new judge. On July 29, 1977, the new jury again returned a guilty verdict on the same charge, in which the court sentenced her to prison for a period of one to five years, in which she appealed, which derailed six issues, especially the trial court's exclusion of expert testimony offered by the defense on the topic of battered woman. And also for the audience tonight, um, appellant is, if I... Uh, um, if I call Beverly the appellant, that means an individual who applies to a higher court for a reversal of a decision in a lower court. And the appellant court is the specific court that is responsible for holding all these um, cases that get appealed. The morning of the incident, um, Dr. Youssef started hitting on Beverly again um, at the disputed kitchen table during um, breakfast. He told her to leave by 10 a.m. Meanwhile, Meanwhile, she was pregnant with their second child. Knowing that he had a gun hidden in multiple, he had guns hidden in multiple places around the house. Obviously, Beverly was worried. Um, after a reattack, she managed to grab a gun and fired a warning shot. From she managed to grab the gun on top of their um, bed dresser and fired a warning shot that backed um, Dr. Yusef out the door. Seeing this, she tried to leave, and he jumped out, and, and she struck him in the abdomen with her first shot. In doing so, um, Dr. Yusuf backed down the stairs and into an empty examination room. Beverly turned the corner, and seeing him crouched when she entered the room with what she thought was a gun, she fired and hit him with the final blow in the head. Um... The prosecution side of the um, the prostitution's contention from this with that with is what is with everything pinned is is that everything was pinned on Beverly in this case. For example, getting kicked out of the house, the abuse. She lured her husband back in with the and the abuse. She obviously was doing this on purpose. The prosecution said that she lured her husband back in with a simple phone call and finished the deal. Prosecution also mentioned that Beverly stood to gain money from her husband's death. Um, and that also could be true because a doctor always has I'm sure he's well insured. money in the bank. Right. Um, legal issue at hand. Did the trial court, was the trial court wrong in ruling that Dr. Walker's testimony 
is inadmissible as evidence. And that would be the expert that the defense tried to raise. Um, the decision of this um, decision of this case is that the court ultimately did not come did not come to a decision. They did not make a determination. The appellate court said that the case for a determination of the admissibility of the expert testimony on the subject of battered woman ultimately um, Beverly failed to get the admissibility of the expert testimony. The expert was not expressing their opinion on the question of whether the wife actually believed she was in danger, whether Beverly actually believed she was in danger when she shot her husband and that the testimony would assist the jury in assessing her credibility. Um, unable to determine the expert's credential or his state of scientific knowledge, that's why they ultimately did not come to determination. The implications of this is that the defendants must establish a general acceptance of um, BWS. Beverly failed to establish a general acceptance by the experts and colleagues of methodology used in the expert study of battered women. And a uh, general acceptance is usually an agreement basically to, um, to use their, their test, Testimony. their words, yes. Right. Okay, case number three, title of the case, Montana versus Engelhoff, 1996. Date of the case, um, it was argued in March tw on March 20th, 1996, and decided in, on June 13th, 1996. Um, it was decided in the Supreme Court in Montana, and the type of case is a criminal case, murder criminal case. Facts of the case. While picking mushrooms in Montana, Engelhoff, um, Engelhoff met Roberta Pavola and John Christensen. On Sunday, July 12th, the three went out for drinks and a private and a private party in Troy, Montana, after picking uh, mushrooms and turning them in. Sometime after nine, nine o'clock, the three left in Christensen's vehicle. In about after midnight, about midnight, officers in Lincoln County Sheriff's Office, Montana, responded to a possible drunken drunk driver in a car stuck in a ditch along U.S. Highway Two. Upon arriving at the uh, arriving at the scene. Police discovered Pavola and Christensen dead in the front seat with a single gunshot wound to the head of both of them. Engelhoff was found laying in the back seat alive and yelling hysterically, obviously um, drunk. Blood alcohol contact was a 0.36. Keep in mind that the legal content is a the legal limit is a 0.08. A 0.38 caliber was found on the floor near the broke near the brake pedal with with four loaded rounds and two empty shells. Engelhoff had gunshot residue on his hands as well. Engelhoff was charged with two counts of deliberate homicide in Montana, in which and in Montana, which means knowingly causing death to another. Defense at the trial said a fourth, fourth person had to commit the crime because of Engelhoff's extreme intoxication and his ability inability to recall the events, and that would be the defense's contention. Um, the jury was instructed by Montana Code and 45-2-203 in 1995 that it could not consider his intoxic intoxicated condition in determining his mental state. Um, the jury found Engelhoff guilty on both accounts since they were not allowed to consider that. After the appeal, okay, so the decision reasoning. After an appeal, the Supreme Court of Montana reversed the decision saying that the respondent, Engelhoff, had a due process right 
to present and have considered by the jury all relevant evidence to, re to rebut the state's evidence on all elements of the offense and that the evidence of Engelhoff's intoxication was relevant to whether he acted knowingly. And all this is under the Federal Constitution's 14th Amendment. Because of the Montana Code and 45-2-203-1995, um, the jury was kept from considering the evidence. Supreme, the Supreme Court of Montana ruled that the state was relieved a part of, it, of, of its burden to prove beyond reasonable doubt every fact to constitute the crimes charged, and Engelhoff therefore been denied due process. The legal issue at hand, does a state statute preventing jury consideration of evidence per se violate the due process clause? Implications. The due process clause must be filed in order for the respondent to use their due process, but the due process clause does not prevent states from making changes in their criminal law that have the effect of making it easier for the prosecution to obtain convictions. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, that will be all for tonight, tonight's episode. Also, um, for all the information in tonight's podcast, it came from LexisNexis.com and Supreme.Justia.com. Um, Dad, thank you very much for being on tonight's episode. It was one of, uh, one of the better ones we've had. Um, no, until thanks next for having time. me, Nick. It was really interesting hearing about these cases and learning about some things I never had a clue. I, I don't... This isn't what I do, but uh, it's very, very interesting stuff about clauses and things of that nature. Um, no, glad you have a good time. And until next time, thank you, everyone.